God sees beyond what we see. We hear this within the first reading. As Samuel has been sent to choose, being led by God to choose the one who would be the next king of Israel back in about 1000 B.C. Samuel had his own opinion of who that would be, having been led to a particular tribe, a particular town, a particular family. He set his eyes upon one of the sons and said, Aha, this one must be the one. But the Lord said, No, I see further. I don't see just the surface appearance. I see the heart. And I have another one in mind. And of course, that one was great King David the youngest, the one who was out of the house at that moment. But we notice, of course, that here already, already in the first reading, we're doing an analogy between seeing and knowing. We human beings might see the surface and judge a few things from that. But the problem is that we don't see enough. We don't know enough. And so we can't actually necessarily reach the conclusion that we need to reach. And the same analogy will be used in the gospel reading as well. And it's really the same analogy that gets used in epistemology, that portion of philosophy that studies knowledge. Epistemology, this long-time analogy of many philosophers that say that to know something, to use the mind to know some truth, is in some way analogous to using our eyes to see something visible in the light. And so it is that today we come to the story of our Lord Jesus' healing of the man born blind. Profoundly born blind. And of course, it's simple enough how he did it. He, using his miraculous power, made this clay, put it on the man's eyes, and the man washed and was able to see. But of course, we see that the story goes on quite a bit longer than that. Because it's not just about our Lord Jesus feeling his physical blindness. But that in the long debate that follows, the long struggle, there is a different kind of blindness and seeing revealed. With the man born blind and now healed on the one side, the leaders of the Jewish people at that time on the other. Now it may be worth to take this opportunity to step back to talk about some general things that can be of use to us. So I want to lay out some differences here that for some of you, you may know them perfectly. For others, this might be new to you and it might be extremely helpful, as it was extremely helpful for me back years ago when I began to get these different things straight. And even for those of you who know it, you may find this useful for explaining it to others, to be able to make these distinctions for others. So we're going to talk about some of the differences between knowledge and reason on the one hand and revelation and faith on the other and how these fit together or how they're different. We start with reason, with our intellect, with our human ability to perceive things and think about them simply through the basic power of our own mind. And we in our Catholic faith have great respect for this. And we affirm that there, is, there are many important things that human beings can know simply through our reason. Many things about ourselves, many things about right and wrong, about the world, even certain things about God himself, such as his existence, or his power, or his knowledge, 
Certain things we can figure out just by using our reason. At least we can in theory. You know, take the ideal case. Somebody with an extremely powerful mind who has all the training they need, all the time they need, and also the desire to use it. Such a person especially can discover many things by reason alone. And yet, there's a limit. Somewhat like Samuel looking at the appearance of these young men, there is a limit even to that greatest human knower of what our reason alone can know. Plus, for those of us who may not have the same power or time or training or desire, our own knowing might fall rather short of that ideal human being. The thing is, is that God wants us to know more. He wants us to take, take us beyond the limits of what our reason can know. And thus, he reveals. That is, it is as if what was as if behind a veil, because our, our reason couldn't get there, he lifts the veil and he tells us or he shows us. And so that second Vatican Council tells us that God's revelation, he does by means of his words and his actions. And what he reveals is himself and also his will. He reveals many truths we would not discover on our own. And indeed, as the council says in a different place, he even reveals us. He reveals us to ourselves. Because sometimes we're mysteries to ourselves. And he shows us more of who we are than we had realized. But at the same time that we move from what we discover by reason to what we discover by revelation, we also move in what we're doing. Because in that first part, we're simply using the intellect. We're using the intellect by itself. And so we have a range. What we're certain of, what we're certain to be false, and then various sort of guesses or opinions in between. But the moment that we move to Revelation, we're not just using reason anymore. We're also using our will. And the fact is that this is totally familiar to us if we think about it. Because it's just like what we do with a human person. If any human person we know tells us, I am this way, and we can't verify it on our own, then we simply have to decide, are we going to believe them or not? Or especially if they tell us, I will do this in the future. Well, then it hasn't even happened yet. Will we believe them or not? We can't, we can't know it in the normal sense. We have to decide whether we're going to trust them, whether we're going to believe in them. On a human level, we have to have faith or not in that person. And so it is with divine revelation. God as a person is telling us things that we can't verify on our own. Are we going to believe him or not? One of the reasons why it's important to know that is because perhaps some people, like I used to, might think that when it comes to things such as the Trinity or Christ's salvation of us, that we're supposed to be able to discover this simply on our own. We're not. These are things beyond our mere reason. We only know them because God told us. But once we know them, how often these truths then shine a light on other things of the world or on, our, on ourselves. And actually, once we know them, then they make everything else make more sense. And they help us to discover more things. So having sort of laid that terrain, 
Now let's take a look back at what's going on in this story with the blind man. The blind man's healed, he can see. But then, then the great di- debate and discussion begins. And so we might say that first of all we see the blind man is assessing what happened to him with knowledge. Most of the time he's simply sticking to what happened. I was blind, he put clay on my eyes, now I see. I don't know anything about him, I don't know how it happened, I just know that it happened. Great. He's, he's very clear on the facts. He's very clear on what he can know. He's using his reason well. But as we'll see, nobody in the story wants to stop there. They want to know more. And the thing is, is that we're going to see the two, two groups, the Jewish leaders and he, going two different ways. It has everything to do with not the intellect, but the will what they're going to choose to do. The Pharisees are going to grab onto, sorry, not the Pharisees, I don't say it was them, but the Jewish leaders are going to grab onto the insistence that Jesus must be a sinner. And they're going to do that because they're afraid. They're afraid of the light that's being shown into them. They're afraid of the change that's going to be asked of them. And so they are going to choose to insist upon believing this thing about him so that they don't need to believe other things that would lead them forward, that would lead them into scarier things, that would lead them into believing something about Jesus they've never believed about anyone. Because of their will, they're going to resist this. And so we're going to see them hold tighter and tighter through the story. Whereas in the case of the blind man, he will not do this. And instead, he actually has reason not to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus has just done something amazing for him. And so he already has a taste of how good Jesus is, and of his love, and of his healing power. And so this fundamental resistance is no longer there in the blind man. But he's going to be inclined to be open to being drawn forward and knowing Jesus. And he's going to be ready to change. And so even in his arguments with the Jewish leaders, he begins to make discoveries. Having started out by saying, I don't know, he then begins to make connections. They said he's a sinner. Well, hang on. God listened to him. He healed. He wouldn't have done that if he was a sinner. In fact, not only is he not a sinner, he must be very close to God. And so the blind man in between these arguments is moving forward the point that he is able to affirm he is a prophet, and indeed able to affirm by the end, indeed he is that great apocalyptic figure of the Son of Man. This is who Jesus is. Now at this point, the formerly blind man has moved beyond his mere reason. He is instead receiving revelation, and he's responding to it in faith. We hear this story every year almost every year, especially if it's RCIA, in the middle of Lent, because of how important this is for those preparing for baptism and how important it is for all of us. Because that light of our Lord Jesus shines into us and we have the chance to respond, not only with our intellect, but with our will. We have a choice to make. We can feel like those Jewish leaders, afraid of what that light is showing who we are, who Jesus is, how we need to change. Or 
or we can feel like the formerly blind man, trusting this one who is shining the light into us and ready to say yes. It's up to us. We can respond, yes. We can respond in cooperation with that grace. We can allow that light to enlighten our minds and our hearts. We can respond in faith.